podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Raps Review Show where we try to find diamonds in the rough of a Wednesday night in Sheffield. It's Dan Morgan, Neil Atkinson and Sean Rogers to go through Sheffield United 2. Oh, sorry, absolutely not. Sheffield United nil, Liverpool 2. <laughs> rather, I should say. Um, the teams and approaches of both, Neil, I'll give you my two pence worth, shall I? Um, well, I mean, a clear post-match from the manager. He really wanted a sense of control from them. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that's represented in certain elements of the lineup, but I think it is in others. So, you know, Gakpo over Nunes might represent that element of control. Um, what plays out is a little different, but there are things with certain personnel, you know, Gomez on the overlap from left back, getting players around Endo in the six. It does all form some kind of narrative around what then plays out. But it is also impacted by Sheffield United, it must be said, whose shape becomes quite fluent, I'd say, as the half goes on. You know, they're a bit of a five box um, and then a bit of a one going on, the five three two. Sean mentioned they, they looked at four at times. I think their main objective from Wilder coming back in seemed to be closing the centre of the pitch, getting bodies in and around Liverpool's eights and ten area players. I think that plays out a little bit. I mean, we'll go into the game a bit more detail, but I think it's notable that there's only 17 passes between the start and midfield three uh, from Liverpool and Gakpo, for example, only receives 13 passes first half. It's indicative, really, of of where Sheffield United's game plan was, I think. What do you think? The first thing to point out is these players have got a manager sacked and knowing the personality <laughs> of, of the new manager... I reckon that's the first thing he's walked in and said. It's worth saying, you know, he knows. He knows Heckingbottom. Um, he knows the club. He knows some of these players. And I reckon that the, in his first meeting, I think he'll have said, you've got that manager sacked. And I'm here now to help fix this and pick up the pieces. But the first thing that happens is you absolutely, you fall off the pitch. We have to drag you off. Come the end of the game, you are that knackered. If you're you're going to stand a chance. If we're going to stand a chance together. And also... A little bit of this is you might not think this is your career, but this is also your career on the line because you know a number of you are not getting a Premier League move. Uh, should you know, should this this not go uh, as you want uh, and as we want, and then I might just be a broom. I'm completely backed. I've come in because you've got that manager sacked, and I will say who stays and goes. Yeah, it gets that out of the majority of them as well, doesn't he? Souza in particular is one who, when you look at his defensive numbers... He gets um, Souza, runs himself into the ground. Hamer collapses on the final whistle. It was one of the benefits, the few benefits in terms of doing this show, of being in the ground was on the final whistle, he just lies down on the floor. He's just lying down on the floor. And you can see you can see his ribcage moving up and down um, as the, when the final whistle goes. He's absolutely you know throwing it in there. Um, and there's a couple of others as well, and I think that, that that's that's played out in the pressures. It's worth pointing out that their pre- average pressures before this game, uh, over the course of the campaign, Sheffield United is 186, um, and they're putting two over 220 in this one. There's there's also just a, a lot of them not wanting the ball, and I think that that's one of the things that's difficult for Liverpool. They're so determined and rigid to stay in their shape. Their past completion numbers are 47, percent 47 percent. Yeah, they know it's like. It, it almost feels like a joke, but I think that their plan was no. And I think that the man, let's be clear, if if he's had two sessions, he's done well. And one of those sessions will be will have been predominantly doing at the very most shape work and possibly just even video work in a team meeting. 
But I think he'll have said, we're going to start here. And the way we're starting here is we're not getting embarrassed. Don't you dare go onto a football pitch and embarrass me the way you embarrassed the previous fella. You shipped five at Burnley. You shipped eight at, eight at home when you played Newcastle. You got battered uh, when you played Arsenal. This 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 isn't happening to us anymore. And I think that you see all of that in there. And I think that that's why main thing they're in a position to do and choose to be in a, in a position to do from the approach is just make it as hard for Liverpool as possible all game. So I think Liverpool's desire to want to get a fair bit of control on that. It's worth saying that they're not controlling things that are particularly complicated. And I don't mean that to sort of talk Liverpool down. There's still this series of physical contests that happen over the course of the game that Liverpool have got to win. And then the next sort of phase of that is, all right, why is he picking what he's picking? I think he's he's picking Gomez because he's probably thinking to himself, the only way these score is with a high ball. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that one. I think he's in part picking Endo as a little bit of a reward, but I think it's also... He wants to have, when you think about the control of Endo, it's not so much the control of Endo, it's the idea of having the control of McAllister a little bit higher, which was the original. Yeah, sort of really. Um, and then from there, I just sort of wonder a little bit if if there is a mini problem with McAllister and Gakpo at the same time, uh, because they want, to, they want to operate in similar spaces. And it's not like McAllister is going to fill the space that Gakpo leaves. Uh, whereas Gakpo wants to fill the space that McAllister leaves, but the sort of player he is, McAllister's not gonna, um, you know, not gonna leave that space all that often. So I think that it becomes a little, it's a little stuck in the mud for Liverpool. But I, you know, if there's for me where the manager's concerned, you know, in the cold light of day, not necessarily when I'm watching the game on 88 minutes and it's still only one nil, but in the cold light of day, one of the things I think you're seeing in this one is the manager saying. If this is what we've got to do against these poorer sides, if it isn't the idea that we cut loose, it's the idea we have to roll our sleeves up and absolutely scrap them to death, then we'll do that. That's, if that's if that's the way this is going to go, then that's what we're going to do. And I think he's he's determined almost to have the scrap. And I think within that as well, there's a, there's a set piece conversation uh, where I think he felt as though as the, I, I mean, I, there was there was a point in the first half after it's gone one 0 where I thought Van Dijk might get a hat trick. Uh, mm. Because of because of the, the, the also the fact that Sheffield United were really happy to concede them uh, the set pieces, so you know all in I think listen from a Liverpool point of view I think the manager gets predominantly what he wants um, from a Sheffield United point of view Wilder I think predominantly gets what he wants and the game finishes Sheffield United nil Liverpool two and I think every and but Liverpool nil one nil on ninety and I think everyone's happy to sort of shake hands on that and get on with their lives not least because Liverpool play another football match in about 20 minutes. In terms of the setup and lineup for Liverpool, I think a lot of it is dictated obviously by the injuries. He's obviously made a commitment clock that I'm going to try and rotate and rest these three in particular through this week. Hence the Salah sub second half, Nunes being on the bench, Gapo hadn't played the other weekend, so it makes sense to kind of flog him, if you will. In terms of the midfield, there's a load of reasons to play an endo, freshness being one, the other one being the, the the possibility of an aerial threat. I think especially the minute the managerial change moves, I think he'd probably have already been planning to use endo anyway, but I think that would have been heavily reinforced. I think the minute Wilder goes in there, you think you're expecting probably an element of aerial bombardment. I think in particular, you think I'm really going to get that and endo's really good aerially in that role and really good at screening. And I think that plays out uh, for Endo. And then in, in terms of the back four, I think you have to go with Canate and Van Dijk. I don't think that's a night where you throw Kwanzaa in. 
I think he's also going to be, this sounds ridiculous, but it's so important that you rest everyone for the Europa League that he's not going to want anyone in that Europa League line up to get injured. Because the minute they get a knock and a ruled out, his big plans to give everyone the week off are in the bin. And then, of course, you've got the game with Man United on the back of that. So in terms of Quanta, I think you players like that, you'd want to be wrapping them up in cotton wool. And there might be an element to a degree of Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott on that. And that Was you surprised be... by Gomez, Sean? Especially not not playing him centre-half in that sense of losing Matip in, the, in that context. I did wonder whether they might just decide that it, a lot depends on Robertson's fitness. I did wonder whether they might think that Simicast would be the sacrificial lamp in the, with Matip being out and whatever you think of the transfer window not being open and, and what Liverpool may or may not do in that. I did wonder whether they thought, mm, we, if we're playing Canarte, we don't really want Gomez off the bench on that basis because we're never too certain when Canarte might miss again and then we can't have Canarte and Gomez out right now, ultimately. And if I play them both, I'm running that risk. Now, he's either considered that and decided, no, I'm happy with where they are and we're going to go ahead. He's he's obviously decided that Simicast... I, I suspect that Robertson's a way off and they go, we really need Simicast in particular. I think also it, it, people may have thought, well, why are they playing Gomez in this game when they didn't against Luton, if you will? But I think because of what happened against Luton is why he's so keen for Simicast to play against Crystal Palace. Did, did he start against Luton, Gomez? Start against Luton, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he played left back against Luton. But I also think... And we haven't seen enough of this. And I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it. There's... Against West Ham, Nunes last season at home torches their line in terms of where to place the line. Simicast puts a couple of crosses in. Nunes does really well off them, in particular the goal. And that's something we've not seen that much of. And against Crystal Palace, I think I think there's an element that if you're going to play Simicast and push him up down the left-hand side against a team that are going to part the bus, you've got to have Nunes in that position because of his aerial threat in particular for Simicast. So if you are going to rest Nunes, there's maybe an angle where you go, well, I, I, what's the point of me having Simicast go down the wing against potentially three big centre-halves, depending on how Sheffield United set up? Because I don't want them putting that in. I want someone who's going to punch passes through. And therefore, that in paper, that makes a bit more sense where you play Gomez. Where you then see Gomez set up through the game, though, then arguably doesn't make much sense. But... I think you can go round in circles like that, like I just have done for the past 60 seconds, I guess. <laughs> but in terms of the setup, it's then really difficult in terms of how Klopp approaches this to work out what Liverpool wanted to do. The mm. When you look at the pass maps, it's a second half pass maps are a nightmare nowadays because you have so many subs and so many people yeah. change positions and the pass maps have got to put someone somewhere. So someone like Zabal's like, what do you do with him when he has the kind of second half that he has, you know? So I think you've got to look really at the first half pass map, which looks very much like a 2-4-4. The issue with that is that, again, because Trent goes into so many different positions, it seems to me that Trent has a bit of a free role in this side, not just in this game, but I think this season. And Liverpool have said, we want you to invert when it's set and only when it's right to invert. And that's why you quite often see him invert off goal kicks, because they've obviously got the time to move the right-sided centre-back a bit further out, get the left-back where they want him and get that set. That's why I think in general play, when it's not a goal kick from the floor, that you often don't see him invert quite so much or as regularly in certain games. So I think in terms of the approach, I think it was kind of similar in theory 
Because when Keller was kicking out off the ground, Gomez would be set up where we've seen Simicus and Robertson. But as they move into the middle third, he was doing what Simicus and Robertson do and leaving us two at the back. I'm not a fan of that, it, personally. And I, I think if you're chasing the game, I am a fan of that. But this Liverpool team needs to start getting clean sheets. I think this Liverpool team needs to start getting serious about defending and more serious about defending. And up to maybe a week or two ago, there was no way they're going to be in a title race with the way they're defending um, in every way. And part of that's structural. Part of that is they, they haven't got that many natural defenders in a team. And part of that is then the way that the players defend their after and concentration and things. I think one thing that came across last night is I do think Liverpool are getting more serious. And I think that stems from Virgil. I think he's getting more serious about the defending. Uh, it's noticeable in the second half when Gomez goes down the left-hand side and does some nitty-gritty defending. He's willing to use his left foot, gets Liverpool a goal kick. And Virgil's like goes up and is like doing that chest-thumping thing that you normally only see Virgil do when someone scores a goal. Trent is much more withdrawn second half. Yeah. I think there's part of that to just say, listen, we got out of here with a clean sheet now. But I think also, look, just rest. I need you Saturday. If I can cruise you through this game, I need you to cruise yeah. through where you can. And I think there's an element of that for him. So in terms of the shape, I think it was kind of the box midfield. I just think the box midfield goes a bit awry. McAllister's way too high. I thought with my eyes he was way too high. When you watch bits back, he's way too high. When you look at where he gets on it, he ultimately doesn't. We can't get him in the game at all. McAllister gets lost. And he's just way too high. And I just think, with him having not played that role for so long, I can't believe that's on instruction. I yeah, I don't I, I don't quite believe they saw that. I don't, I don't know how many so many people think he's he's a natural eight. Like I think it's a much more of a project than people realise. I think some people get a bit hung up on numbers and positions and not at this sound. In our system in particularly body shape. He's a double pivot too. Like that's he's a double pivot. Yeah, I, I, look, there are there are some players, Dan, that I think are great facing the opposition goal and they're not great back to goal. Yeah. I think there are some yeah. players who are great on the half turn. And like me. <laughs> and there are some players like me who who aren't good at any. And uh, none of the three. And McAllister strikes me as someone who you kind of want on the half turn, but you're more than happy having side on. I certainly don't want him back to goal. Yeah. And I think in that role last night, he spends too much of his time <clears throat> back to goal. Um, and that that and players can change and players can improve. And Harvey Elliott's someone I don't want back to goal because all he does is pass backwards. Yeah. And and you can go through spells in a game then where you're like Harvey, like. <laughs> You know that's not what we want you to do. That's not your role on the side. But back to goal, he's 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 not that great at spinning people around on the pirouette, if you will. Whereas someone like Cody Gakpo is really really good. Someone like Ryan Gravenberch is outstanding. Back to goal, you know, like outside of the foot rolls, spin yeah. people in that way. Curtis Jones is someone very very good. Back to goal, yeah. roll it into him. We keep people off a phone box. You go bring people more in. I'll just keep the ball. Fine, come and bounce off me. Um, and I thought McAllister gets lost. And the other thing I thought in the approach that frustrated me, I've got no idea what our right side was doing. I get the left side. It was very much Diaz stay wide, Diaz stay high. We get a lot of ball out there. The Sheffield United pressing maps, the data backs up the eye test. All of Sheffield United's pressing is down that side. Gomez kind of backs him up down that side. 
He was a bit isolated. It was almost like, well, you're going to have to take your man on then. And there's a different conversation about that in that Diaz's dribbling numbers have fallen off a cliff since his first season. They're in rapid decline. Whether it's the injury, his game, something else, he's not beating men anymore. He's not taking them on anymore. Um, that's probably a combination of factors and it could well go the other direction. But leaving him out there, I think that there's a separate discussion about Diaz. Do you see him as a facilitator or a killer? Because Jack Grealish plays that role as a facilitator. He's no, and people criticise his numbers, but that's a bit unfair. It'd be like Kurt, playing Curtis Jones out there. He's not there to get the numbers. He's out there to facilitate loads of other things that have a value that are probably a bit hidden in terms of their value to a degree. I think Liverpool uh, now need to have a look at Luis Diaz in that is he a facilitator or a killer? And I think if they want him as a killer, I don't think his numbers are there. And I've been having a look at it as well. And they're not there. And they're certainly not going to be there if you isolate him out there on the right-hand side. I think this is where flexibility can be your biggest strength and your biggest weakness. Liverpool were rotating who was given the right side with. Sometimes it's a Barcelona, sometimes it's Trent, sometimes it's Salah. You re- have a look back at it, and it's not anyone specific. But I just think, again, the issue with that is that can get a bit lost and a bit messy. And I think the overriding thing on the night, which means Liverpool have to dog it, and this can just happen no matter what you do structurally. The first two touches for too many of the players wasn't good enough, either be the first touch, the next touch, and it it just ended up being sloppy and a bit inconsistent, and then you end up just having to dog it. And that's fine. In, In this run of games, I'm much more interested in the clean sheets and Liverpool being serious about defending, to be honest, than anything else. I think that the interesting thing on... On, on the night is what Liverpool don't do is try and fix is when we get past the 66th minutes when he makes those two subs I think it becomes crystal clear he's not trying to fix the structural issues he's instead gone we're not conceding a goal we're not conceding a goal so we're 1-0 up we've got the we've got the goal we've got the one we don't think these can get one if everyone is if all of my players are sensible but not good from this point we will win the game and and to be fair to the manager and to those players, that's how it plays out. And I think that it's I think that at the back end of last season, and I think at the start of this season, up until say the October international break, I think they'd have chased a performance. And they don't do that. They don't do that. Um they do not chase the performance. They allow the reality, which is we've gone one up from a set piece. And it might be that Nunez will do something that makes it two. And in the very end of the match, that's 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 one of the things that happens. Nunez does something and it becomes two. Uh, not, that's not to take away from the fact that Gravenberg shows really good calm. Uh, sorry, that, that Sabozlai shows really good calm and certainty when he slots. But it's almost like at this point, that's it. That's what now our attacking threat is. Our attacking threat now is that at some point, it'll be Nunez and he'll do something good. I think Elliot coming, off, coming on at the same time. There's a point where when Gravenberg comes on, it's very explicit. This is now four five one. They're actually having a chat with each other on the pitch, and people are, are, are holding up hands and numbers, and they're going, "This is four five one now. This is what we're doing. It's going to work like this. You're going there because we are just seeing this out." And I think that, that bodes really well for the grand scheme. I think it bodes really, really well because it bodes that for all the bit of bravado in some post match interviews, and for all that, maybe Trent, you know, himself feels like he's on one. I think there's a little bit of a thing where there's there's different ways to be on one and you sort of get to see a post-match that, well, sorry, in the game in this one, that we're, we're Sheffield United, what I think is really good about the, the, the results and what you can call in inverted commas the performance is Sheffield United wants it to be 1-0 on 85, but so did Liverpool. Mm. 
and I think that that's really important. Liverpool, were, yeah, we're, we're bought into that. So what you think is your best way home, we're, we're saying we're accepting it. And then go on then, give us your best shot. Give us three punches, see what you can do. Um, you know, I, I'm, and we'll go from there. And then I think it's also significant, I think, therefore, for the psychology of the team, that they go up the other end uh, and, 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 and score. You know, I think yeah. that that's good in that it says we we hung on into this. We said that this was the way this was going to go. It went that way. We rode it out. Everything that you could throw at us, you threw at us. They have the last little um, sort of bit of a, a go uh, after it's gone 2-0 where Archer gets his chance, um, which is his only real sort of decent chance with the ball the, the ball on the deck over the course of the game. Um, you know, he gets that in there. And that's that. And I think that from a Liverpool point of view, I think that's that's excellent. Um, like without, as I say, whilst watching it, you're thinking, what on earth are we doing? What's the direction of travel? Why can't they just play better? I mean, genuinely, one of the things I was saying at half time was if they play well here for 10 minutes, they could score three goals. And that was true. Yeah. But what they didn't do was risk anything in trying to play well here for 10 minutes. I think they're going to have to think about McAllister. I think it is more of a project, as you say, Dan. I think also it's the sort of thing that I think could make a real difference at Anfield against poorer sides. Mm. It also makes a bit more sense when you've got Nunez or you've got whoever it is who's playing central, wants to stretch it. So if you had Jota, I think it'd make more sense. If Jota was nine, I think it'd make more sense because Jota would vacate the space as a nine on the one hand, but is also prepared to go and live on the shoulder, which means McAllister would have a bit more space in there to work. Um, you know, So I think that that could be... I think that Gakpo's the worst person for that. But I also think it's worth saying it's the first time he's got to play there uh, since pre-season, so he's just sort of remembering the ropes all over again uh, in there. Uh, yeah. The, the yeah. Diaz, the Diaz question, insofar as there is one, um, and I think it is the one as Sean sort of framed it and phrased it, it is literally, what is it you want? You know, it's, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I think that that's, you know, in the same way that if we're not careful, I think that City have, have sort of talked themselves into, into re- reducing the effectiveness of some players and ending up with question marks hanging over them is in part because whilst there can be a time sort of managerial clarity on what it is you want and you can get that, you can actually erode other bits of performance and then when you turn around and you need it, it's sort of not there anymore. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm emphatically of the view of, of, of what do you want um, and, and go from there. Neil Atkinson here. If you're listening to this, I've interrupted Dan Morgan and Sean Rogers talking to me about the game uh, that's just happened in the last couple of days. That is the review show. It happens after every single match and it's a pleasure to do. I always find researching for it to be genuinely engaging and, and genuinely educational and getting to speak to Dan and Sean is always an absolute pleasure along with any other guest uh, that we get on this show from time to time. We do it every single match and every single Liverpool game, there's always something to learn from, something to take, something to be intrigued by, a question to ask, if not necessarily answer. It is the review with the Anfield Wrap. Wherever you get your podcasts from, it'll be free for this week. Share it with your friends by all means. But uh, we'd like you to sign up, obviously, theanfieldwrap.com forward slash subscribe. Patreon, uh, Google and Apple, wherever you feel, uh, the review will be there week after week. Just on that though, so I think one of the points I'd make on it is I think it's it's really hard to say you want Luis Diaz to be a facilitator when the fella before him was both a facilitator and a killer, to use Sean's words. And I think similar I think in a similar way, you have a similar conversation about someone like Gakpo playing in the false nine. I think Liverpool were previously blessed with such a hybrid of a team that the the two players who played nine and left, if you like 
were absolute killers and absolute facilitators. And I think yeah. you can say the same about the other fella who was on the right. I think why a lot of people don't know where they are with this team this season, and one of the big reasons why is because it's shifted a little bit. That is an identity. So, you know, the forwards are more facilitators in this side, I'd say. And I'd say, ultimately, that leaves a bit of responsibility for the midfielders to be more killers. You know, Trent's more of a killer, if you like, in this current incarnation. And I'm just, you know, I think maybe then that there's one of, one of the sort of shifts we do have to do in our minds is to say, well, actually, you know, you've got a real body of evidence there to to justify that the goals need sharing out a bit more than the team, for example. There's, there's definitely an element to that, but I think there's something else as well, which is that the, the fellow who's meant to be the ultimate killer in the side is Nunez. When the goal return isn't quite where you want it to be at this point, it, but it's difficult to argue with the commitments and the performance hmm. uh, at times. And and so he's not really facilitating, but what he's doing is he's you know he, he he's he's fracturing the opposition, and then finally at some point Liverpool get to take advantage. Yeah. And, you know, you could do with that being a bit cleaner. You know, I think that we'd all feel like it, it made a ton more sense if Nunez had five more goals. I think you'd be then sort of saying, well, this, yeah, this is what I thought, or this is what I expected, or this is this is how it's meant to be. It's something as simple as that. But I, I think at the same time, you, it's difficult to, to, to simultaneously, you know, so at the minute, if basically, if the amount he's currently underperforming his expected goals by in the league, which is 2.2 goals, he was overperforming his expected goals by, then I think we'd be saying, no, this all makes this all makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Flip side of that is, you know, you get to see exactly what the value of him is in terms of it going to. Um, I think the chance that he doesn't score is a better, um, is sorry, is a worse chance than we thought. I think it becomes a harder chance. But then even that, there's been a couple of times recently where you just want him to sort of get it out under his feet. The other thing to point out as well as to why it's even a question mark on him is that he's hit the post five times or six times. So it's a, this is another one of them where you know it's we've seen it in the past. And I think that there'll be nothing better, really, than at some point in the next two or three home games that are all big home games. I think Jurgen Klopp will be absolutely desperate for for Darwin Nunez to come to the party in one of those three in a big way. And if he does, because what well, if he does, then I think it makes everything else sort of coalesce. I also thought that Gakpo's general performance improves when he when he moved left um, in this one as well, which I think is something we're thinking about. And then the, the the now legendary, the endless, you know, the other one to point out here is that I still don't think we have entirely answered the the question as to what we're doing with Jota. So he's ended up with these projects. But simultaneously, and the other thing to point out is all of the players that we've just mentioned, including Diaz, have all had really big, good moments playing for a side that sits second that we all think have got a fighting chance of being top of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it, we're talking here about about you know if there was a if if in Nunez there was a, a reversion to me around goal scoring with maybe a cherry on top, then I think we're saying it's flying. With Diaz, I think if there was one compelling game in three and two facilitating games in the other three, we're flying. I think mm-hmm. with Gapo, if we can get him calm and positioned on a pitch where it makes sense, that'd be great. When Jota comes back, I think the idea of Jota doing his bits and pieces that he can do in games arguably like that one last night is what I would say. I think that he's actually the big miss last night. I think that Jota would make a ton of sense in that sort of game last night. He's probably the man who, who turns it from one to two. And then when you've got it to two, there's more of a chance it ends up going to four. But we can't turn it from one to two. So I think all of that, and then in there, Salah's just playing ever so well most of the time, even though even when it doesn't go for him, he's tending to do the right things and being sensible and all the hits and all the above. But I think that, but all we're talking about here is genuinely what are quite small tweaks that the manager himself might feel as though I can't do this for them. 
the thing that I've just, everything that Neil's just described, if he was listening to this, he'd think, I can't do that for them. I can maybe give them a little bit more information. I can maybe use, use Gakpo and Jota a little bit differently from time to time. But apart from that, I can't do the next bit. And I think that that's where the players themselves sort of need to do it. The one thing I would say is, I'll say I'll go back to it, there's three really big home games on the horizon. If Liverpool can do the decent thing on Saturday, there's three massive home games on the horizon. And it would be wonderful if across those three home games we're coming out buzzing because in one of them, New Year's has been evidently man of the match. In one of them, Diaz has been evidently man of the match. And in the other one, either Gakpo or Jota has been evidently man of the match. And Mo Salah's just been Mo Salah. And if that happens, then I think we're in great, great nick. And that's why I think it, it doesn't take much but it is the next thing. Just just to expand on that with a few numbers, um, if you look at the league table and, and rattling through this, you know, if you look at the XG for the XG conceded and then sort of the XG goal difference, if you were, which always thinks quite revealing. It doesn't always quite work out that, but look, the bigger that number is, the better it is normally for all parties, especially with your, your Liverpool hat on. Um, you know, Newcastle are really underperforming. They're, they're actually top of the sort of goal difference chart, if you like, but there's a few mitigating factors in there for them in terms of, you know, Sheffield United being one, as an example, within that sample. You know, Arsenal, 0.73. Manchester City, 0.74. We're 0.58. And the big reason for being at 0.58 is our XG goal conceded. You know, Arsenal, 0.73. City, 0.88. Newcastle, 0.99. We're over one, we're 1.13. Again, we've said this all season of mitigation because of being down to 10 men, nine men. But if we're going to compete for the title, that number needs to be lower than one. So, but on the attacking players, I had a look at XG, XG for shots, but also XG assists um, per 90 minutes across the top clubs. And I think 0.5, Neil, I don't know what you think, 0.5. Neil down 0.5 would kind of be a good bar for me. That's not to say anyone below 0.5 isn't any good. I just think if you're over 0.5, that I think focuses the mind a bit and makes your eyes pop out a little bit to a degree. Um, so as an example, XG and XG assisted per 90, Nunes is 0.77. Salah is 0.72. Um, the only player at Arsenal over 0.5 is Gabriel Hazus at 0.60. For context, and the only player at Manchester City over 0.5 out is Erling Haaland at 0.79. So you want Nunes and Salah on that pitch as often as you possibly can, and we've got two of them. Now, in comparison, when you look at Diaz and Gakpo, Gap Jota, by the way, is 0.5 out. Yeah, which and and it doesn't so feel Jota like that. He's a, yeah, isn't it? And it doesn't even feel like he should be. Like, if I said to you, where, sh where, where do you expect them to be generally? You'd be like, yeah, probably that. When I say this season, where would he be? I'm not sure I'd have said that higher figure. Mm. Gakpo's 0.34. Diaz is 0.32. Sabozlai's 0.28. Now, when you look at Kai Havertz, he's 0.31. Very similar to Gakpo and Diaz. And Katia is 0.35. Saka's 0.44. Erdegaard, 0.31. But he's reverting to mean now. Don't it's a coincidence that Erdegaard is pairing and Arsenal now look a lot better going forward. Martinelli's 0.27 at City, Foden's 0.39, Doku 0.35. So Gakpo and, and Diaz aren't in the same category of numbers as your Haaland, your Salas, your Nunes, your Jotas, even Bakri Saka, Gabriel Hazus. And that's where. I just wonder, I don't think we will do this, which is a shame, I think. When you look at the squad and how we've been playing this year, I'd have been very tempted to make this more 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2-E. 
I would love to see Salah and Nunes much more central. I think Salah's lost that yard of pace on the right wing, which enables him to go at people 1v1. Um, I would have no issue with some games supposed like being centre mid, but other games supposed like being Ray Houghton, where Trent can sometimes go on the outside of him, supposed like can just go and drift, can just go on that inside run, whatever he wants. Diaz can be more of a left-sided midfield player. You can play Gapo off the strikers. Gapo can drop in left mid if that's where you want him. Curtis Jones can go and do that left mid role in a very sort of 1980s Bob Paisley way. Harvey Elliott can fill in right midfield in those kind of areas. You know, we got good results with Harvey Elliott playing in that role last year, by the way. Uh, he plays against Manchester City at home in that role and 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 it's when it's 4-3-3. Harvey Elliott looks a bit of a, a square in a circle hole, I guess. Um, you can keep Trent at right back and you can build in a three and have Trent as that quarterback and progress from there. And Robertson and, and um, Simicast, you can let them do what they want to do. And that is get on the outside of Gakpo, get on the outside of Curtis Jones, get on the outside of Diaz, whoever you want to play in that left-side role. But if I was the opposition, I would not want Darwin Nunes and Mo Salah near each other I... in the final third regularly. And um, and the thing with Nunes is if... It, his, if he ups his game another gear in terms of ruthlessness, we really, I think he's as crucial as Virgil van Dijk to a title challenge. In the same way, I always felt that if Stan Collymore had upped his level of gear, he had the ability, Liverpool to win league titles. Irrelevant of the problems Liverpool had other areas of that side and squad, the ability was there for him to drag that another five, ten points because he was just insane in, in his level of, of ceiling. And I think Nunes... If Nunes is man of the match against Man United, I don't even think it's a close win. I think Liverpool at five or six with the state of that. I, I on Sean's point, I think the manager will throw a four four two in somewhere at some point in the. Um, if I don't want to limit it by saying by the Newcastle game, but I do think it's coming in one of the three homes that I think he'll throw a four four two in in one of them, um, and I think it'll be interesting to see which one, and then understand the why afterwards. But I think he will throw one in. Um, I think it's coming uh, and I think it will be in there I could be completely wrong obviously being completely wrong in the past but I think they've been working on it and every now and again you sort of see it I think the other thing to point out is I think part of why for Gakpo and Diaz especially those numbers are a little lower I actually do think it's not that far away from already being a bit 4-4-2 it's just it's completely asymmetrical so to be fair to Diaz and Gakpo I feel as though Diaz especially I feel as though Diaz is being used certainly more as an attacking midfielder than as an outright forward that's so start of the season as a left ten, and it's worth caveating that as well. That, yeah. that that's going to be skewed slightly. Yeah, yeah. So that there's been there's been that moment as well where that's happened, and it's worth sort of pointing that out. And I think anyway, you know, you go to many of the club sides when you go through those shapes in the past. You know, there's points where for me, you know, is a, is a de facto attacking midfielder. Much more, you know, when you look at the average positions and you look at back with your eye test, you look at the data, you look at where he's doing his pressures. He's, he's as much an attacking midfielder. It, it stops being false nine and becomes attacking midfield with two forwards who not too dissimilar actually to the way at times Watkins and Diaby play for Villa, where they're almost two separate islands who scare the life out of you, if you see what I mean. Like each of them is happy to play between fullback and centre-back. So therefore, de facto can be 30 yards apart, both looking to do a similar thing and both testing that line over and over. And that's what Mane and Salah were at times. So I think it's important to sort of say that he's actually already not that far away. 
I think what we're almost referring to a little bit more, and you get to see it at the end of the game against Fulham, is the idea that there is a front two, and the names of that front two are Nunez and Salah. And then there is another footballer who plays wide of Salah on one side, and another footballer who plays wide of Nunez on the other. And that's what we're referring to here as well, as something that could be a little bit different. But I don't think, you know, he's now done it against Fulham last week. I think, again, he doesn't play 4-3, what you mm. call 4-3-3 through this one against Sheffield United all the way through, sending her all the way through, and I'd argue for much of the game, that's not quite really there. It's almost closer to a 4-2-1-3 if you wanted to try to write it down, not least because of where he drops McAllister. And even there again, I think Diaz's job is to just come a little bit deeper uh, than, than, than Salah's is in there as well at times. And I think that the idea of, I, you know, I wonder if one of the things the manager's waiting for before he goes for this a little bit more is... He almost might be waiting for Mo Salah to knock on his door and say, I feel like I'm getting lost in games a little bit wide right and I don't feel like he's yes. getting me in. So what, how, yes, do, yes. how do we do this? And almost let Salah make the call. As, as counterintuitive as that might be, are the managers in charge, etc., etc. I think there might be a little thing where he might be thinking, how do I let the, uh, the how do I get my best player to go? You know what? I want to be in there. I wear, you know, when I play for Egypt, I wear number 10. I've done this. I want to go in there and I want to be with this fella. Um, and I wonder I wonder if that might be what he's waiting for in a sense. Well, I, I think I think we also need to know what, what's happening with Mohamed Salah next year as a big question of this because one of the things I, I would personally, if we're all doing what we, we would do, um, one of the things I would do as a, as a bit of an experiment is to have a look at Diaz right. Yeah. And say your job now is basically to feed Nunes as much as as much as possible as much as we play him and I think there's loads of ways in which you can hit him you know you've got that Virgil Diag from left centre back you've got Trent in Burton you make Shabazzlai a bit of an island on the right which he loves you give him yards to run into and also you know I think it's a little I think it's a little bit unfair on him because if you look at him in the squad when he doesn't play left side the personnel in terms of style and and how they play is so different to him. Like you can make much more of a stylistic argument between Jota and Gakpo than you can between any of them and Nunes. The the job becomes so and different. Diaz, I mean, sorry. So sorry, yeah, than yeah. Uh, than Diaz, yeah. So the the job becomes so different, and I, I just I just wonder whether. You know, because Salah is so influential to what Liverpool is and its culture and its its identity of what a Liverpool side is now that we might have to break the mould a little bit. And don't get me wrong, if Mo, if Mo Salah signs a, a three year contract with Liverpool tomorrow, I'd be made up. You know, I'd be I'd be I'd be banging you know sort of all the rhetoric out about the 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 fact that he he can probably perform the top level for another three years. That's not an issue. I just wonder whether we have to break something in our own minds about what Liverpool's right side is and what we get out of it because he's such a unique player and you might have to just change the entire thing completely and, and do that in a way that fits Diaz a little bit as well. I think Sabalzlai is... is I think Sabalzlai's work rate and what he does, there might be an element that we're not getting the most out of it when the ability for him to output in the middle and final third in particular is there. Um, his subtlety on the ball, his finishing ability... Running power, it's dribbling. Um, you know, if this was <laughs> this is ridiculous. If this was Kenny in the late eighties. There's only one position he's playing. 
and 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 that's that right side midfield role, which is when we lose it, you fill in here, and when we've got it, you can go where you want based on the position of the opposite player. So if Nunes goes out, you're in. If the fullback goes round you, you're in. If you come in, we get the fullback round you. That kind of thing, really. And I think Zabozlai, um, his work he didn't play that well last night in large part. His work rate is absolutely unreal. He's not very good at all. I don't think. I, I mean, he gets the goal in fair play, and I think his touch is just not quite where he wants it to be. And he's getting a bit frustrated at times. He gets moved around. He's just physically but, beyond. He's just physically yeah, beyond everyone on the pitch. Yeah, and that's the Joe Fagan test, isn't it? The Joe Fagan test. You're not having a good night, but can you still help me win a difficult away game? And if the answer is yeah, I'm interested in signing yeah because winning three 0 at home when you're playing well takes care of itself at Liverpool. But I need to know you can have a bad night and it doesn't stop us winning games. Of football, and I thought he's one like, of those sickos who like. Sorry, Sean, just a quick. He's one of those sickos who, when you play footy at like amateur level or like semi-pro level, like he's one of those fellas who can go on like a three-day bender, go to footy <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, and then like run a marathon on the Monday. Well, he, did one of them, like, he did with Hungary, didn't he? <laughs> he's got, yeah, maybe he did, but he's got that. He just looks like he can do another ninety on on eighty-nine. Just looks yeah. like it's there for him. Yeah, he's one, yeah of, I think, he's one of those lads who's hanging on, but he, go, he goes down to play six aside, and but someone else is, is, is lacking a couple, and he hangs on after you played your game and yeah. you're crawling off the pitch, and he says, yeah, don't worry, I can fill in there, and then he's man of the match in that one. And it's 9pm, like, and he's been hanging on since four. He's been playing yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's played four hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just to finish on him, I just think we position it in the most congested areas of the pitch, and what I think I would do with it is say, I've got the structure of this team set where you go and find the position of maximum damage, and that's your job. Um, because, it, it, you know, him and Trent as well, having the freedom. To, I, I just think we're getting him a bit congested for me, so Bosley, and then he's doing a bit of water carrying. And I think I think there's probably... I think you could have a double pivot in there. And sometimes it would have to be him, I think. But I'd, in the bigger games against tougher opposition, I'd have no issue with it being an Endo and a McAllister as an example. To be, you are the base in front of Virgil and whoever for the rest of this side to go and do the damage and go and hurt people. Uh, so Bosley's shown enough. He, he He's at 0.28 now, XG and, and XG assists per 90. It, like, I, I think you could double that with his talent. Just to round off, the right just to round off we'll, we'll come back to the game. Um, so on, on Neil's point before, I think he's absolutely spot on. I think from 55 onwards, Liverpool just do a shutout job. Um, and particularly, I'd say, 55 to 77 um, between both the, the Salah and the Nunes chance. I think they really assert more control. They're 115 pass completion out of 131. 49.1% territory, which I think is a bit of a, a bit of a sneaky number that in terms of it shows that they maybe just drop off a little bit and they're not that bothered about territory in that, in that sense, that they want to control the game. 12 recoveries in there. No shots for Sheffield United. There's only two passes inside the box. Liverpool do a job of telling the story. That story is we're going to take control of this game. This game is a, is a non-event for you now. Um, maybe the other thing to round off then, Sean, on is the idea of what Liverpool had to face and maybe the fact that Liverpool knew what they had to face. So Sheffield United go long with a success rate of seven 
out of 44 passes. Um, also worth noting on, on Neil Schultz earlier about the possession, that was with under 200 attempted passes as well. Um, also, you know, Liverpool's dual success rate is really high, higher than what we see in usual games. 28 out of 38 duels won. Um, set pieces in both areas are interesting. They do a really aggressive, feel like a really aggressive man-to-man job. Um, but I think there is a bit of panic from them and that probably comes from them being one percentile and set piece XG against. You know, they're given a they're given a, a ratio of a shot of, of a quality of 0.45 per 90. Um, 12 corners for Liverpool. It felt like we utilised that threat both for and against and nullified, but utilised and nullified it better than we did against Luton, which is a positive recently when you're talking about the defending. But it did feel like a game that Liverpool had to sort of navigate around that before they got their foothold in it. For, for sure. I don't know how we didn't get a couple of penalties on our corners. Um, I, I thought they were even more reckless and aggressive than even Luton Town were. And that's definitely something I think Virgil and Klopp need to be having a work with the officials about every game now before we go out and just trying to put as many seeds in the mind as they can. Uh, without criticising them, I'll be sending the videos in and everything just to try and make sure it's more at the front the forefront of some of the referees' minds on these things. But, you know, a lot of it comes down to the delivery, doesn't it, in terms of the quality they've got there. But Virgil's pairing, isn't he, ultimately? And when he's pairing, he's a massive threat as well in the opposition box. Canate really stood up to massive pressure last night. I think he was really well aided and abetted, to be fair, by Endo in particular. But also Sabozla and Trent being aware for them second balls. I was a bit nervous with the subs that we might have ended up with a midfield that wouldn't be that good mm. dealing with that kind of thing. Um, but Canate really stood up to the aerial challenge massively because they, they just decided they were going to bombard us down that area. And, you know, from the set-piece point of view as well, that's something Liverpool would be keen to take into Crystal Palace again, um, especially against... The, the problem with Palace, because they've come on the back of that hiding, it's not dissimilar to what Neil was saying about you know, Manchester United, in that it, 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 those players are coming in wanting Hodgson to go, look, we parked the bus here, we play dead. We don't engage in a way that Crystal Palace may well have engaged where they come on the back of, say, nine points from 15, having beat Bournemouth 4-1, and yep. feeling like the pair and a bit more. They might have gone, okay, well, we, we, we can have a little bit of a go at these unless the scoreline goes otherwise. So, I think Liverpool will be coming into a very different game this time round, but against Palace, I don't think it'll be like for like in terms of approach. But as you say, it, Liverpool couldn't even get any pressures. You look at the pressing numbers for Liverpool; there wasn't not Sheffield United weren't interested in passing the ball anywhere, and it, it, you know it was just route one, keep our shape, and see what. It's a good way not to be counter pressed. <laughs> this is it is it's uncounter pressable, isn't it? So, it, I, I think Liverpool. In a, if you're looking at a broader spectrum, you'd be keen for some creativity to come in, in the forwards to be getting more chances now because of the way these two last games have gone. Mm. It's always about what happens next. If Liverpool go and do the decent thing against Palace and play well, and and the forwards, or at least one of them, get on the score sheet like Neil has been alluding to, it, then job done, ultimately. And games like that are just... Get the, get the job done. And as I say, the most important thing for me is that Liverpool are serious about defending in, in this. And, and they were that Callagher does brilliant for the save, but other than that, 
Sheffield United don't get a sniff. Yeah. Last one, Neil, would you start Nunes against Palace? Yeah, I think yeah, and I think that the managers decided that by virtue of the subs. So I think Nunez starts uh, against Palace. I think the the, the set piece is stuff that interesting in that you know obviously when you, one of the reasons why set piece xG mounts up for some of these sides who are down the bottom of the table is because they concede loads of set pieces because they concede corners all the yeah, time. It's worth saying that. Fair. But but one of the things to point out is that the aerial percentage win for Sheffield United is really low. There was a stat a couple of games ago going around that they don't win that many headers, and I think mm. last night they were showing a bit of determination that they're going to improve in that. You know, it's something else where if you're the manager of Sheffield United. You're a bit like lads, Alex Seppian pulled apart. But we've got to win our aerial duels. Um, you know, I think that that's and certainly in our own penalty area. So I think that that was always going to run into that a little bit last night. But I think that being sharp from set pieces in terms of getting the first or second goal in these games, I think is going to be important for us. And I think this is where it's no bad thing that Canate's back in. Uh, because I think Canate is his own problem to solve in that area as well as well as as well as Van Dijk. Then if you've got Nunez in there uh, too, then you, you you're carrying sort of a fair bit of threat. Um, I just think that the other thing that we've got to have our eye on on our own set pieces is not getting counted on. Uh, I think we've got mm. to do better on that. And last night that was uh, in a way that was their only way home, and we sort of solved that second half by not getting any more set pieces. I'd rather we solved it by structuring better uh, on the counter. Okay, all good stuff. Thanks to Neil, thanks to Sean, and we'll see you after Crystal Palace. Sports Social Podcast Network.